This will be good because I'm still coughing a bit, so this will be a lot of fun. Okay, pretend there is intro music. Go. Hey, at least you don't have to look at him. Wow. <laughs> Feel free to keep that in if you want. <laughs> I'll work on that. Yeah. Live from the bus station. <laughs> Have you ever in your entire life seen anything so beautiful? I'm sorry, I don't know anything about stamps. Bus station, live from the bus station and straw and other contraband confiscation center in Fullerton, California. I didn't write that because <laughs> I'd have been able to read it. This is the award-winning stamp show here today, episode number 200. Yay, 200! Oh, my... <laughs> 200! Oh, my God, we made it. <laughs> We've only taken like a month and a half off. <laughs> Let's well, see, there's been the holidays, there's been visitors, there's been Tom, be Tom being sick... It's, it's, we weren't off. It was a hiatus. And also, I want to apologize because. More like a hijacking. We had one, and I recorded it, and it was um, Lunch with Stamp Collectors. And we recorded it at the Red Rock Casino. And Mark and me and Tom Mills and Jim Forty, and we had, what, eight people at the table? Yep. And we were talking about the stamp market and everything. It was fantastic. The recording was totally unusable. It had so much background. It was just terrible. <laughs> and so we have to find a better place to do lunch with stamp collectors. Hmm. So that's why there was nothing last week. Anywhere but a casino probably would be a good thing. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> about the least popular lunch spot so that you don't have people talking all around you? Well, that's what we were thinking, you know, because... Uh, it was, you know, I, I saw, um, Don Rickles and, uh, they were at the casino, <laughs> no, but they have lunch with people and you know, they're famous. So they can say, okay, everybody shut up. We're like nobody. So we walk into the casino. It's like, we can't tell anybody to shut up. So we just had noise that you couldn't understand. Anyway, who's bringing this to us? The Southern Nevada Philatelic Research Center. Hey. This is Tom. This is Scott. This is Mark. And this is Cash. And, and this I, is a Cash catastrophe. And I have a gift for uh, Tom here, and we'll we'll try to put a picture up on it. But I got a whole bunch of money from Venezuela, and Venezuela, I'm giving him a uh, five thousand Bolivar note, which in two thousand seven was two thousand five hundred dollars, fifty cents per Bolivar. And today, this 5,000 Boulevard note is one-tenth of a penny. So the next time you have faith in government, look at this. Um, I, you can go on eBay. There's a great guy selling these. You can buy the entire issue of all the currency that they issued. 
And uh, I think I paid $2.75, and that included postage. And it's a really neat reminder of government stuff. Everybody should know I'm not a skeptic. I'm a cynic. And I gave one to Scott, and I gave one to Mark also. Mm-hmm. Mine has an armadillo. An armadillo on the back? Yep. Oh, cool. <laughs> I'm going to donate my one-tenth of a penny to my kids because mine has sea turtles on the back. They have, they have truly great-looking currency. I mean, it's valueless, but it looks fantastic. I'm going to try and spend mine at Chick-fil-A and Fulgen. <laughs> I don't think they accept anything over 20. <laughs> I got a 20. Oh, 20,000. Mine's worth whole half a penny. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> well, today we are going to be discussing the upcoming Orco Expo. Yes. For which I am leaving tomorrow. As am I. But I'm leaving today after this broadcast. I, I am not leaving. Oh, you're going to stay here. I'm going to stay here. Which, by the way, uh, people who are out there, there are always auctions at these stamp shows. And the auctions are always looking for people to help. Not always. Most of the time they are. And so if, you ha if you're a stamp collector who wants to work with the auction industry, I mean, honestly, it's a big, beginning level. You're going to be just handing boxes to people and watching so nobody steals anything. But there is always an opening for people to do stuff like that. So check it out. It, you also have to make sure that you're um, physically able to lift and move banker boxes full of books. Well, yeah. So, but they're not that I mean, heavy. It's, well, it's not like a banker box full of books. It's a banker box full of It stamps. can be. Yeah. Well, that can yeah, be. And, be. And you're going to have to pick up and move multiple boxes throughout a day. Yeah, that's true. So you, know, you have to be in somewhat good enough physical condition to be able to handle that physical activity. That's true. You have to be s stronger than, uh, let's say, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. You, you have to be more than just willing. <laughs> So everyone's going but me, huh? Everyone's going but you. This time. Well, you usually go. Well, it, again, before we went to, well, we, we moved to Nevada. So. Before we moved to Nevada, I had intentions of going the, to this one. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> However, I have had people at my house through the entire holiday, and I was supposed to have last weekend finally just free. And a friend of mine that was coming out, I was going to see Thursday. Some stuff ended up happening. I know he listens to the show rarely, but <laughs> I won't go into details. It's not my story to tell. And he ended up staying at my place until Sunday. He ended up at my house until Sunday so that uh, I had no time to do stuff I was supposed to do this weekend. Oh. So now this weekend during Work Expo, I'm going to have to do my stuff. Well, I and would... it's also my kids' birthdays. Yep. So... One of these days, I'm going to have to like take him out of school and let Chris bring him to Disneyland during Orco Expo, and that way I can go and then go to Disney or something. Well, I had the same thing because I had two Christmases. One of them was two days ago, and because uh, I do celebrate the Eastern Orthodox Christmas, and I get horned into the 25th also, and then New Year's. But, you know, I, wor I worked on Christmas, and I worked on New Year's. I didn't work. And I worked two days ago. I worked on the Epiphany, too. I'm a workaholic. 
That's so not true. <laughs> yeah, after I said it, I said, why the hell did I say that? Because <laughs> you knew I was going to call it out, call you out on it. Uh, so you mentioned auctions. Who's having an auction at Orco this time? Yep. Harmer Shao. Yes. Good friend of the show, Chris Harmer. Harmer Shao Auctions from Petaluma, California. They're, they're actually driving down today and setting up for viewing starting tomorrow, I believe. Yeah, why don't we talk a little bit, tell people about auctions at uh, stamp shows. Because an auction at a stamp show is significantly different than an auction at another place because of just the ease of it. It's so incredible. Well, yeah, if, if you take a firm like Siegel Auctions, they have offices in New York and they hold auctions, uh, sometimes in their offices, sometimes in hotels in New York, uh, not in conjunction with a show. And uh, so it can be... Inconvenient. In, yeah, inconvenient. I mean, H.R. Harmer does that in Southern California as well. They they go to the hotel and they rent uh, conference rooms and they have some rooms where you can view the material before and during the auction. And then in another room, they have the auctioneer and they have tables set up where you can sit at the table and bid. And, and they have phones in the back for the phone bidders. Yeah, but at a stamp show, it's totally different. At a stamp show, it's totally different. Because you're going to a stamp show. Yes. And then it's just like you look over in the corner and you go, what's that over there? And it's usually, you know, for most of it's an auction, it's uh, viewing during the show, and then the auction takes place after the show closes. And a lot of times the uh, auction is actually on the show floor. They have an area of chairs set up for bidders. But... uh, and then usually, because it's usually a multi-day show and a multi-day auction, usually the last day of the auction is also during the show. While the show's going on, they're they're finishing up the last of the auction. Yeah, so if you go to a show and you're looking for revenue stamps, I mean, Mark, you, you're, you're going specifically to check out the auction, right? Yes, I'm going to do viewing on Thursday all day. And then there's going to be an auction Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Well, it's Friday night, Saturday night. Right. And then Sunday during the show. Right. And then the, uh, so the Friday auction is going to be the singles, um, and uh, foreign singles, I believe. And then Saturday, I believe, is the United States singles. Yeah, they always do the foreign first on these sort of things because right. um, the tra- people traveling in will be there on Friday. And the people just showing up, like I said, this is where a lot of stamp collectors just go and they say, you know, they look over and they see an auction going on and they bid at it. So you want the most popular stuff. And obviously here in the United States, the most popular stuff is U.S. stamps. No, collections are more popular. Well, that's true, too. Yeah, that's (laughs) that's very true. So that's why they do those on Sunday. Sunday. Yeah. Yeah, Sunday morning would be the collections. So... Because do you bid most on uh, collections or singles? Uh, I spend most of my money on collections, but I do bid on the singles. Same here. Um, I look for things that go in my exhibit. Those are always singles. But for actually, uh, like, I have collections now. I'm doing an exhibit on connections, if anybody knows uh, James Burke. Uh, I'm getting blank stares from everybody. Uh, if you know what Connections is, um, 
you know, if you don't know, uh, go to YouTube and watch some. They are fantastic. And I want to make one like for stamp collecting where they go over different topics and like over four frames, 16 pages for frame. I started like, let's say Romanian revolution and end up with uh, the cure to malaria or something like that. And it's all connected and it just flows through all these different stories. It's a really great concept. If I can pull it off, that'll be cool. If I can't pull it off, at least I'm giving it a try. But yeah, I, I collect and what I do is I'll buy groups, lots, and then I'll pull the stuff out that I want and then I'll sell the stuff I don't. Well, I think that's what why they're so popular is because that's what most people do. Yeah, it's part of the the hunting for stuff is is really one of the major appeals for collecting or for a lot of collectors. And also, just and I I don't know if you'll support me on this, but it seems that collections overall are much cheaper than if you had to buy the individual items. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, but it can be competitive, too. Um, you know, you'll see lots that uh, uh, that will go for, you know, five times the estimate. No. Um, but And then there will be other times when a lot won't even sell, um, you know, or will sell for the opening bid, and it's a terrific bargain. It just depends on who's seen it and who spent the most time looking, you know, looking for the value. Oh, I, at HR, uh, HR, yeah, it was HR. There was a Canal Zone collection, and it didn't sell, and it was only like $400. And, you know, there's the auction after the auction. I'm doing finger quotes. Nobody can see that, but I'm doing finger quotes. Auction after the auction. You can go to the auction house and say what didn't sell. And this Canal Zone connection collection didn't sell. And I looked and it had just this rare, really cool stuff that, you know, you look into Scott's catalog and there's 20,000 of these stamps issued and he has a pair of them, you know, weird stuff like that. And I bought it for $400. Just nobody looked at it. It went totally unseen and I scarfed it up because I'm, I love the story and I love the scarcity. And then I make money on it by selling it on eBay too. I mean, we, we can't ignore that aspect of it. Well, sometimes eBay requires a bit of showmanship to sell. You have to describe it right. Otherwise, people won't find your lot that you have for sale. But at the same time, you know, as far as these auction goes, um, I definitely like looking at collections. But the, the singles um, for devotees of graded stamps... Um, not only can you find stamps that have already been graded, you can find stamps that should be graded. Oh, yeah. And sometimes people see them and sometimes they don't. I I won't mention the person's name, but his name is Bill. And he bought a $1 number 516. That's the $1 value, right? 516? 518. 518. 518. He bought a 518. He paid $90 for it. He thought it was really, really well-centered. He sent it in, got it graded. It got a grade 100. It's worth like $2,000. And he bought it out of an auction where everybody looked at it. <laughs> everybody saw this, and he won it for 90 bucks. And then, you know, paid $20 for the cert or whatever it was, and it's worth $2,000. 
So you can find this stuff way, I mean, it, they're out there. A lot of it depends, you know, and there's a lot of material that comes up at auctions. And to be able to keep track of all of those auctions and look at all of those lots, you know some of the stuff has to fall through the cracks. And you just have to be there at the right place in the right time to, to catch those. Which is the cool thing about being at the stamp show because you're there anyway. You walk up to the table, they'll hand you an auction catalog. I mean, anybody who has never participated in a stamp auction should go to a stamp show just to go to the auction so you sort of get the feel of it. I, I have a funny feeling we're, you know, trying to describe the smell of the color green right now, you know, to people who have never participated in auctions, but it's something that stamp collectors, you know, should be aware of. And uh, it's a really great way to get stuff. Yeah, another uh, another advantage of, of um, going to these auctions is that, um, you know, even if there are stamps that are way outside your price range, but you're just really interested in, like, you want to see, well, what is the, you know, pigeon blood, uh, you know, color? Oh, yeah. Uh, um, you know, if they have it at the auction, you can request to look at it. And so you can see what the, you know, what the shade is, this famous shade. Uh, and that goes for a, lo a lot of different stamps, reissues, that type of thing, where, you know, the, the price range is typically way outside anybody's wallet. But if you actually want to see the stamp in person up close, you can do so. Yeah, you, that way you have at least a chance of recognizing one when you see it. Right. Yeah. And that, that doesn't go just for shades. That goes for any any interesting and unusual item. Oh, yeah. They come up all the time. Um, there's also opportunities if you want to, you know, try your hand at, you know, doing some kind of eBay thing. Um, there's a lot of collections that sell for, you know, just a couple hundred dollars, yeah. you know, that, that, that are in the auction that are in there because people can sign them and they want to get something out of it. Um, but uh, in the auction, they typically there's no picture. But if you go to the auction, you see it and you think, gosh, this is a nice looking collection. You know, you can buy the collection and you don't even have to take anything out. You can just resell it on eBay just yep. by, you know, spending more time with it, describing it properly, and taking enough pictures. Um, well, well, my whole uh, my whole um, philosophy for eBay is a Toyota car, a Toy Toyota Camry. The parts individually of a Toyota Camry sell for more than a Toyota Camry. It's exactly the same thing with stamp collecting. A collection's parts will sell for more than the collection itself. And from what I've seen now, this obviously varies a lot. But generally speaking at auction, a banker's box filled with stamp collection stuff. That's just amorphous blob, you know, stuff from collectors. Generally is about $125 a box. That's what you can expect to pay not counting the commission. So let's say 150 total for $150. You will have a banker's box full of stuff that you could then piece out and make two or $300 on. And I see people do that all the time. I mean, it's common. Well, like I said, it's all about, you know, as a collector, you like to sort through stuff and then, you know, you pull out the stuff you want to keep and then you take the rest of the stuff. And it's all about, coming up with a good description to get people to look at your lot on eBay. 
You know, that's a really, really good topic for like our next one. How do you describe things on eBay? Because I want to jump in. Well, I've seen a, people it's that a stamp. No, no, no. I, I, we, we could well, talk. You still we have, could, yeah. you also, it's not the description. It's the title. We can we can discuss this for half an hour easily. Yeah. Easily. And, what do I put in the title of my yeah. eBay lot? Why don't we discuss that at the next one? So And, and then we'll head it off with uh, how to sell stuff on eBay. You know, our marketing podcasts get twice the listenership of the ones that, where we're just talking about stamps. People oh, really like listening to absolutely. how to do stuff on eBay. Yeah, selling collections is a challenge because eBay only allows you 12 pictures. Yeah. And you can no longer uh, put HTML inside the inside the description. So how do you get around it? And there are ways to get around that. Yep. Yeah, that was a big one. Uh, um, Noble Spirit. Mr. And well, I won't mention his name, but Noble Spirit, if you go to uh, eBay and do a search, he used to put 50, 60, 70 pictures of his collection so you knew exactly what you were getting. And eBay said, no, 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 we don't want this going on. And so now uh, there's a big problem with how do, how do you, you sell must, something? You that, must include a picture of what you're selling, but you can't include enough pictures of what you're selling. So, yeah, exactly. Okay, guys, make up your mind. Exactly. Yep. I think the whole point was to limit the amount of space needed on their servers because it was just getting to be uh, no, but why excessive. Do you, but why do you take the HTML out? They're not allowed to put. What do they you do that They don't want you going to outside links. Yeah, yeah they don't. Yeah, want they you. did that because of Google because right, right. their page would be, I guess, downgraded or something if you had links that weren't um, active. You know, uh, not active, but uh, but uh, pre-approved. Well, yes, yeah, and uh, right now, if you do searches, you get a lot of eBay results, and that is for the benefit of eBay. Yeah, so, but still, you know, it, it, that's going to be a really good topic because we, we at here on the table. I mean, I struggle. I'm sure with we that. have fifty, sixty, seventy years of experience. I I struggle with writing titles because you have only what is 84 characters or something like yeah. that and uh and if you use all 84 you're dooming yourself there also yeah yeah it has to be clear concise and accurate and not all capitals <laughs> and, we're, and we're going down the rabbit hole we're starting to actually right. start the discussion on what you want to discuss later okay let's yeah. let's end it and go back to orco expo <laughs> right so okay so tomorrow speaking of non sequiturs so on friday three of the four of us are going to be there don will be there too and I'll be recording for the podcast there. I'll be talking to people about, you know, the markets and stuff. And I'm sure Mark Easter will be there. And he's always good for uh, giving really good insight. Will people be able to bring their stamps over to the PSC booth? We don't have a booth. No booth. We have a, we have three lunches. We're serving everybody lunch. Screw the booth. Huh. You get to come to our place and have spaghetti. You're feeding the masses. We're feeding the masses. And the dealers, too. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, massive dealers. And you can come over and show us anything you want. And I think Scott, he, although it's not scheduled, I haven't seen. He's supposed to be doing a lecture, but I don't see a confirmation of it. I will be there on the floor. You can always ask me questions. And we'll have free handouts. We'll have relics of 100 years ago from uh, World War One, Romania. So all you have to do is find the person that's doing it since we don't have a booth? 
Oh, you'll be able to see me. I'll be the guy in the long red tailcoat. And top hat. No, I don't. <laughs> you know, I was thinking about getting a top hat, and uh, I couldn't find one that I liked. Otherwise, I would be wearing a top hat. But come up to me. I'll, I'll give you a free stamp, and I'll show you some magic tricks. Stamp magic tricks. Excellent. Is there anything else going on at Orco? Yeah. How, a lot, how many dealers go to this? It's like, what, 35 30, or 40, yeah. something like that? Yeah. yeah. Well, 35 or 40 tables. A lot of the tables have more than one person at them. So it's uh, it's very popular. It's one, it, it is the largest show west of the Mississippi River. Can you can you uh, typically find bargains at this, at this show, or is Sometimes. it just high-end type stuff? Sometimes. It depends what you're looking for. You can always find bargains. I mean, there, there's there's cover dealers and collection dealers and single stamp dealers. I the found, idea I found a bargain at Chicago, so. Yeah. You just have to know more than the dealer. And that's not difficult <laughs> because the dealer is a dealer. Well, and that a lot of times the dealer's, you know, just trying to pump out volume where and he's not paying attention to what he's looking at sometimes. Or well more than that. It's So you're you're a specialist in World War One Romania, and the dealer has World War One Romania. No, the dealer has all of Romania. Exactly, along with all of the rest of the world. He doesn't know what he has, and so you go in there and you say, "Hey, wow, can I see your World War One Romania?" And he brings some stuff out, and you go, "Wow, that's cool. I want to buy it." And you know, you end up finding good stuff because it truly is not difficult to know more than the dealer. I mean, if you come to me and you try to, you know, pick me it's off a little for U.S. number 11, you're going to have trouble. It is a little more difficult if you're doing U.S. Uh, because a lot of the U.S. dealers only do U.S. But uh, if you're doing another country, then most of those dealers don't focus on one single country. They do multiple countries. And so they're... Their average knowledge level for any given area is going generally going to be less. Yeah, well, I also think it depends on what you're looking for. Are you looking for stuff to get a deal on? Are you looking for stuff that you can get good grades on? Are you looking for <laughs> stuff to fill know, holes in your that, collection? That was my favorite story from Westpac's uh, Lloyd, who uh, has been on the podcast several times. He went to a dealer, and he was talking about grading, and he said, uh, "The dealer said." I don't believe in grading. I don't like grading. And so Lloyd just looked at his stock and went through. So I'm going to shop at your table all weekend. And he found about 75 items that the guy had priced. You know, they were really nice. So we priced them at like double Scott's catalog. And Lloyd went in there and he bought like 75 items. And those 75 items he made over $2,000 on. Because, the, you know, the guy, he had a stance that said, oh, grading. And Lloyd just said, oh, okay, I know grading. You know, sell all your stuff to me. And he, he did. And he would not, not all your stuff, just the good stuff. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But I've seen people do that with revenue stamps, too. People oh, don't know the revenues. And, and, you know, when you're looking at you look at the catalog value. It says $10 for the stamp. Uh if it's a nice-looking stamp, don't balk at paying more than catalog value because the catalog value is for a specific grade. And if the stamp is clearly better than that, don't balk at it. If you want to add nice stuff to your collection, uh, 
I mean, you can balk at how much more you yeah. have to pay, but not the fact that it's over catalog value. Well, I collect playing card stamps because magician, you know, I deal a lot with cards. And uh, I go through the first issue revenues and I look for playing card company cancels. And people don't know what this is, but like a, 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 a common playing card cancel on a common stamp makes a 25 cent stamp a $50 stamp. And people just don't know. You know, I know well, that that's not, what I do. And sometimes it's not necessarily that they don't know, it's that they just don't pay attention. Yeah. Well, Lloyd's picked up small, because he does um, British Commonwealth stuff. Oh, yeah. And oh. he's picked up oh. some really, really ridiculously expensive cancels, because he yeah. collects used, from rare towns on these British Commonwealth stamp, stamps that are, you know, two, three, four dollar stamps, but this one town's cancel on it, congratulations, I, it's several I would, hundred dollars. I would have to yeah. say over the last five years, he's probably averaged three or four stamps a year where he's got the, he's found a town cancel that there's never been one known before <laughs> yeah. yep. on, a, cer on s a certain stamp. And uh, it's it's kind of neat because, uh, you know, I do town cancels on, on Canadian stamps and uh, the Canadian commemoratives. And a lot of times I'll find small towns and I'll look them up. And even today they have less than less than a thousand residents in this town. <laughs> and this these stamps are 100 years old. Well, Lloyd we'll, we'll today when I was downstairs. So he goes, I'm going to Orco Expo. I hope I uh, don't waste my time. I hope I find something. And I looked at him and go, you always find something. You always pay. <laughs> if nothing else, I'll buy a box of three and four cent commemorative plate blocks and have a ball. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. So there's, there's going to be some giveaways at the show, too. Some raffle drawings. Oh, yeah. They there always, always, always are. Yeah. yeah. There are. Yeah. There's yeah, always uh, every day they have a six thirty, uh, white plane sheet. Oh wow, that's uh, that's a nice couple hundred dollar item. Yeah, so I already I already have my my uh, raffle tickets filled out. I'm gonna yeah. drop them off. Just ignore it because uh, I already have the spot in my album. I'm I know I'm winning it. Oh, <laughs> I, I I can see into the future, and my future has a white plane sheet in it. Yeah. There's a white plane size sheet hole in your album. <laughs> Uh, so shall we get to the main topic? There's a main topic? Sure. Somebody's got to read it, though, because I know I will not make it through without you know, <laughs> sounding just like that. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm still cover recovering from congestion. As my computer screen goes blank. Uh, main topic, the 1869 pictorial issue. We only started threatening to talk about this two months ago. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. It's amazing. I'm just amazed. I haven't even read through it yet. And I'm already tearing up. Oh, wow. <laughs> the 1869 pictorial issue is a series of definitive United States postage stamps released during the first weeks of the Grant administration. Ten stamps and denominations from one cent to ninety cents printed in the series. 
with eight of these introduced on March 19th and 20th, 1869, and the two greatest values being distributed somewhat later. During May, however, the post office began distributing a revised version of the 15-cent stamp, in which the original poorly aligned frame had been modified. A diamond shape was added above the vignette, and the lines behind the vignette were changed from horizontal to diagonal. This Type 2 stamp is considered the 11th stamp and an integral part of the issue. The two 15-cent stamps are Scott numbers 118 and 119. They are also the first stamps that did not picture a president or a uh, postmaster. We're getting to that. Oh, oh, this this is this is long. Oh, it is. Oh, this yeah. is this is pages. <laughs> okay, go ahead. <laughs> and just as a side note, uh, the type two is more common than the type one. The term pictorial denotes a revolutionary aspect of the 1869 series. The designers rethought the concept of what constituted an appropriate stamp subject, changing the established convention that U.S. postage stamps should present images only of dead statesmen. Statesmen's portraits appear on only three values of the pictorial issue. One cent Franklin, the six cent Washington, and the 90 cent Lincoln. The other seven denominations contain a variety of images. Three stamps illustrate means of postal transportation, delivery on horseback, the two cent, by locomotive, the three cent, and by steamship, the 12 cent. Two others present historical tableaus drawn from famous paintings of crucial hemispheric events. Wow, you wrote a mouthful. John Vanderlyn's Landing of Columbus on the 15 cent and John Trumbull's Declaration of Independence on the 24 cent. The remaining values, the 10 and the 30 cent, are variants of a patriotic eagle and shield design. One small thing. This is what people don't kind of get nowadays because, you know, we're kind of older and nobody cares. Columbus that he was big, big time until the 1920s. He was probably the most important and influential person, they think, they say, you know, in the world. So the fact that Columbus was on a 15 cent stamp, people shouldn't like downgrade that. The, the discovery of Columbus was probably at the time more important than the signing of the Declaration of Independence. Well, back then, in theory, we wouldn't have been here if it weren't for him. Yeah. And we wouldn't have had our political system if it hadn't been for the Declaration of Independence. Anyway, an innovation no less striking of the 1869 pictorials was the introduction of the first two-color stamps. This was on the four denominations, the 15 cent and greater. Each color had to be separate, uh, printed separately, and a few sheets of the 15 cent, the 24 cent, and the 30 cent, the paper was placed on the press upside down for the second printing, resulting in America's first invert errors. Um, most likely what happened was a sheet was pulled and it was, the image was being inspected. And when they put it back on the, on the stack of sheets to print the second color, they just put it back 
upside down. Makes sense. That's likely what happened. These error stamps command inordinate prices. At auction in early 2011, used copies of the three inverse realized a total of a quarter of a million dollars in the U.S. And the sum would have been as much as $100,000 more had the 30 cent invert not had a small margin repair. A used block of four of the 24 cent 120B, which was part of the Bill Gross sale in October 2018, sold for $625,000. By early 1868, the existing definitive series of U.S. stamps had been used for more than six years and plates were no longer in pristine condition. Problematic as well was that these stamps had indelible associations with the Civil War, a calamity that was an unpopular association in America. Gee, I wonder why. Me too. Hold on, hold on. What was, what was the tie to the Civil War of this issue? These, those stamps were used during the Civil War. We're talking about the definitive series before the 1869 pictorials. Oh, okay, okay. Those stamps were used throughout the Civil War. Right, right. And and before so, the Civil War. New stamps to right. just try and disassociate with memories of the war. No, yeah. I, I thought that the 1869 issue was related to the Civil War, and I'm going, hold on. Hold on, hold on. No, they were trying to get people's mind off the Civil War. Yeah. Forget about all your dead relatives. Right. The printer of these earlier stamps, the National Banknote Company, was operating under a contract that expired in February 1869, which meant that the post office would soon have to solicit bids for a new four-year stamp production contract. These circumstances made an, made 1868 an ideal year for the post office to plan a new definitive stamp series, as bidders on the contract could be required to submit essays for the new stamp designs along with their proposals. The post office advertisement for bids recommended a new imaginative method, even stating that there should be variety in the sizes as well as the designs of the stamps. While a variety of sizes was not ultimately produced, this stipulation may have been the germ of the decision to adopt a new size and shape for the pictorials. In fact, the 1869 issue was the first that offered designers the opportunity to plan an omnibus U.S. definitive series as a coherent whole, with the subjects and visual styles of individual stamps chosen to harmonize with one another in the context of an overall plan. A master plan stamp set. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, a lot of countries issue almost all of their commemorative stamps in sets. We're one of the few countries that issues them only as uh, a lot of them as only single designs. The 1851-61 series had grown piecemeal, beginning with only three stamps, to which five more were added, resulting in a lopsided pantheon. Washington graced no fewer than five of the stamps. The next issue of 1861 had to be prepared hastily as the aim was to prevent the Confederacy from converting previous U.S. stamps into cash. And as a result, no thought was given to appropriate stamp subjects. On each denomination, the same statesman was depicted as in the previous series. In contrast to these almost accidental accumulations, 
the new series was intended in some sort to portray the history of the post office in the United States, beginning with Franklin, the Continental Postmaster and the post writer of the early days, followed by the locomotive of a later day and the ocean steamer carrying the mails. The most important scenes in the early history of the country, its triumphs in arms, and Washington, its first, and Lincoln, its last president. In keeping with the suggestions in the post office advertisement, the essays that the National Banknote Company submitted for the new issue on July 22, 1869, indeed represented a fresh approach. Six of the designs, the 1, 2, 3, 12, 15, and 24 cent, were accepted, with few alterations. Most of the changes involved making the numerals larger. The remaining essays were quite different from the stamps ultimately issued. One interesting feature is that this July 22nd version of the series placed Washington on two denominations. National submitted both 5 cent and 90 cent Washington essays. A 5 cent stamp had been included in both preceding series, but this denomination was discarded late in the production of the pictorials in favor of a more useful 6 cent value which was the first six cent stamp ever issued by the U.S. Post Office. So why was six cents more useful then? Uh, two, two ounce, right? Yeah, it was, it was basically twice the yeah. three ounce. Also, there was a 30 cent, which was uh, Burgoyne at Saratoga. Which, which they didn't use. Which they didn't use, yeah. But Lincoln's port portrait was used in the final version of the 90 cent. Owing to the new size of the pictorials, the National Banknote Company embossed them with a smaller grill pattern, the G-Grill, than had been used on the previous series. The G-Grill is found only on the 1869 issue. Quite different, however, was the reception the pictorials faced in the months after their release. Early reviews were favorable, but soon severe criticism began to appear in the press, and the stamps rep rapidly became disreputable. As early as September, newspapers announced that the post office was planning a new definitive issue to supplant the pictorial series, and the replacements went on sale during April 1870, less than 13 months after the pictorials had first been issued. The new issue cost the taxpayer nothing as the National Banknote Company's contract for U.S. stamp production required it to furnish, as the postmaster stated in a written report, quote, new designs and plates at the pleasure of the Postmaster General without additional cost to the department." End quote. Ouch. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing like shooting yourself in the foot. New stamps every six months, go. The remarkably brief tenure of the pictorials meant that relatively few stamps could be printed, which accounts for their present scarcity. So why didn't people like, or why didn't the press like the pictorial issue? Well, I think that's coming up here. Ooh. Many accounts characterized the harsh criticism that greeted the pictorials as a broad-based public reaction, motivated by the patriotic conviction that national heroes were the only acceptable subjects for U.S. stamps. The truth, however, seems to be more complicated, for the tone of much of the press commentary about the pictorials suggests that an organized campaign was attempting to discredit them. To liken the design of the on the 30 cent stamp to a bunch of rags hung out of a junk shop 
at least raises an aesthetic issue. But the statement that the two-cent stamp represented Booth's death ride into Maryland is surely defamation, pure and simple, <laughs> indicating an agenda that has little to do with the question of stamp design. Oh, that was and that was actually printed in a paper. That's that seriously, was a quote. yeah. <laughs> not the horse was not a way to deliver mail. It was picture depiction yeah. of Booth's <laughs> death ride into Maryland. What? <laughs> so it was fake news even then. That the pictorials had been created by the widely reviled Johnson administration was scarcely likely to win them admirers. Grant's postmaster and his team were constrained to issue them without having had any say in their design or production, and thus had no reason either to like or to defend the new issue. Moreover, even before the pictorials appeared, they had already acquired enemies as a result of the previous year's unusually contentious competition for the contract to produce the 1869 U.S. stamps. The design and printing proposals offered by the National Banknote Company during June 1868 had been chosen by the post office, despite the fact that another company, Butler Carpenter, had submitted a lesser bid. The deciding factor may have been that National had the rights to the patented apparatus used for imprinting stamps with grill patterns, a procedure the post office had recently adopted in hopes of making it impossible to clean the cancellations from stamps and reuse them. We know that's not true. Yeah. <laughs> it makes it more difficult, but not impossible. Oh, it doesn't even make it more difficult. Well, it says, well it, it depends what kind of ink. It does say in hopes of. That is true. And I think, for the most part, I think they were worried about very little. I think there's more cancel washing going on today than there ever was back then. Oh, I'll bet you you're correct. <laughs> yeah. Well, especially now with coated paper and sprayed on cancels, it's just like... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Just, just getting them off the envelope gets rid of three quarters of the cancel right there. Because they just run. Nevertheless, Butler Carpenter strenuously protested the rejection of their low bid and mustered an array of allies in a protracted attempt to have the contract reassigned to them, even contriving to have an investigation begun by a congressional committee, which delayed the actual signing of the contract with National until December. Sound like any kind of uh, political yeah. stunts going on today? I wasn't going to get political here, but this sounds really, really uh, like uh, it could be in the newspapers today. Business as usual. Yeah. Some things never change. Yeah. In this climate of ill will, a set such as the pictorials, an issue that avoided moderate solutions, was particularly vulnerable as features of the new stamps, which were unfamiliar, could easily be characterized as hopeless flaws by opponents who had been involved with the Butler-Carpenter fight. The pictures, in fact, were only one unusual factor. The stamps are smaller in dimension than previous ones and nearly square in format. This is in contrast to the oblong shape that had been customary. The reduced size enabled National to fit 150 stamp images on a pane instead of the normal 100 and Butler and Carpenter had characterized this shrinkage as a penny-pinching shortcut 
that reeked of unfair competition. It is perhaps not a coincidence that the public criticisms frequently deplored the small size and unfamiliar shape of the pictorials. Because paper is worth so much, they want that additional amount, I guess. Yeah, but once you print a denomination on it, you can charge more. You yeah. can sell it for more, yeah. right? Not all objections, however, can be dismissed as illegitimate. It was surely impolitic to oust Washington from his accustomed place on the normal first-class letter stamp and replace him with a Baldwin locomotive. The New York Evening Mail fulminated... Our old three-cent stamps were as perfect as they could well be. They were national and American, as they ought to have been. The head of Washington was venerable. But now think of the miserable, confused-looking thing with its wretched printing that the post office has given us for the present three-cent stamp. This is neither historical, national, nor beautiful. What is there in a big chimney on a railroad carriage to indicate the nationality of our postal system? And thus they fulminated. <laughs> they did. And I'll make a bet that uh, trains on stamps collectors are, are, are all up in arms about this. Oh, <laughs> I, I hear fulminations all the time about it. Oh, they're fulminating. <laughs> Some critics registered complaints about poor quality gum, which may have been justified. Did they fulminate? If they did, their stamps got stuck. <laughs> They're fulminating at the mouth. I don't know. I've seen, I've seen lots of uh, 1869 pictorial gum, and it sticks just fine if you get it wet. Yeah. No, I was just going to comment on that, too, other than the special printings. The gum doesn't look any different whatsoever than the issues before or after it. Doesn't well, taste no. any different either. Well, <laughs> no, because no, the you know it was done by the National Banknote yeah. Company. Yeah. They had to, they had the contract, so but why wh would the gum be any different? Why are they fulminating about the gum then? Deriding the small size of the stamps, the comic papers exhibited caricatures in which the people were looking for their stamps in their pocketbooks with powerful microscopes. Oh, gosh. And the designs were particularly vulnerable to being rendered unattractive by the poor quality control exercised by the still infant stamp production industry. Well, I can tell you that because, you know, finding well-centered 1869 oh, pictorial true. stamps is not easy. Yeah, it's damn near impossible. I fulminate about that all the time. Only collectors of exceptional affluence were able to afford well-centered copies of the pictorials. Less fortunate hobbyists must often settle for lopsided examples that must have been even more displeasing to those who bought them at the post offices during 1869. I don't see any of these fulminations being even remotely valid. The failure of the 1869 issue had lasting consequences for U.S. postage stamp design. For the 1870 series, in response to complaints about the small dimensions of the pictorials, the post office adopted a larger size for postage stamps than ever before. Bidders on the 1873 production contract were not asked to submit stamp essays because the post office intended to retain the 1870 designs. Accordingly, the winner, the Continental Banknote Company, took over National Banknote's 1870 printing plates, making a small secret mark alteration to identify their product. All during the 1870s and 80s, these designs remained, and while some were re-engraved, 
and a few new denominations were added, the post office did not dare to change the general appearance of U.S. stamps until 1890. Anyway, pictorial designs did not appear on stamps for ordinary mail until 1893, and those issues were carefully promoted as a special series in honor of that year's Columbian Exposition, one that would soon disappear, leaving national heroes as the sole subjects for definitives. It was not until the series of 1922-25 that the post office again placed pictures on definitive stamps confining them, however, to values of 15 cents and above. The lower denominations still presented the normal portraits, presidents, and other famous Americans. During the past century, the pictorial series has enjoyed warm praise in philatelic commentaries. Some have expressed admiration for the boldness of its concept and the skill of its miniaturistic engraving by James Smiley. Others, affection for the period charm of its illustrations. The 12 cents value with its image of the SS Adriatic is often described as a particularly beautiful stamp. Still other writers cite the nostalgic associations of the pictorials, noting that for most collectors of American stamps, the three cent locomotive, a common item of which many cheap copies are available, was the first of real antiquity they were able to collect. Most other values in the series, by contrast, are rare, especially the greater denominations, and for this reason as well, the issue is venerated by many collectors. I wonder if those stamps were popular at the time with the public, and it was just the press. Oh, I don't even think it was the press. I think it was the uh, printing company that uh, was pulling political strings. I mean, you got to realize that these printing companies had really deep ties into a lot of these newspapers. Yeah, you also have to realize that, you know, with all the ways of communication we enjoy today, they basically had uh, personal letters and newspapers and broadsides and things like that for communication. And so stamps were a very integral part of the communication process in this country. And so uh, it was uh, something that they could really, really talk about and would really get them agitated. Mm-hmm. So people uh, need to hate something. But I, so. but I think as a general public thing, I mean, the farmer out in, in Iowa or the you know, gold miner over in San Francisco, I don't think they really gave a crap. Yeah, it's the same thing <laughs> today. I think I think ten percent of the people care what's going on today, and the other ninety cent. I, I think your estimate's life. a little high. Yeah, <laughs> could well be. I just think it's funny that a stamp like that really only lasted a year or less, and ended up basically disrupting any new types of designs for over twenty years. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, one one thing you didn't cover in here, uh, we Cash touched on it. The you mean special, all that I missed something? The, oh the, my the goodness! The special the special printings, which were done in the eighteen eighteen seventy five. Um, the fifteen cent actually has a third type that is unique to the special printing set, and so the special printing set only has ten stamps in it whereas the regular issue has 11 because there's two 15 cent types but the third type is only the special printing and that can be uh, easily uh, picked out because 
the shading lines behind the vignette are completely absent. So that makes it easy to pick out. You know, when I first started expertizing stamps and it was talking about the shading lines behind the vignette, it took me probably over an hour to figure out what on earth they were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> oh, one, one more thing. I haven't done any. Uh, uh, one more thing I can think of is the 90 cent, which does not have an issued invert, uh, does have uh, inverts in the proof series. So uh, that's also something if you want, if you like inverts, it's, it is expensive, uh, but you can find the inverts. They did make them as proofs. Yeah, I'm looking at the uh, website right now. The 90 cent Lincoln is exactly the same as the 15 cent Lincoln from the Civil War issue. I never realized that before. It is exactly the same picture. Well, the portrait, the portraiture is uh, a lot of times reused. Um, the the banknote companies and uh, some of these security printers, they would have. Uh, stock images engraved of a lot of these individuals as well as numerals and scroll work and all sorts of stuff and they would use them in designs and you can find the same images in on money on banknote products lottery tickets uh, all sorts of documents as well as on our postage stamps and they just they would either redesign uh, or re-engrave the image in a, in a different size but they would use the same, uh, yeah, the they same design. Flip, flip it over so they're facing the other way. Yeah, I, yeah. I just never realized it was exactly the same. Yeah, but the, the, those designs, once they were created, were used for a multitude of different products. It's a, it's well, a, a very lot them, a lot of them were based weren't a lot of those based off of paintings and stuff that already existed of those people. Paintings, sculptures, all sorts of things. Yeah. Well, we're working on getting back on track, so hopefully next uh, week we'll be getting back into new issues and upcoming shows other than, of course, Orco this week. Uh, Which will probably be on or past by the time this goes up, <laughs> unless Cash gets it up tonight. Well, thank you for listening. This has been Stamp Show here today, episode number 200. With no champagne. We're not drunk. This was Tom. This is Scott. This is Mark. And this is Cash. You have been listening to Stamp Show here today, seeking to advance all levels of the stamp collecting hobby through news, information, and collecting advice. Visit us at stampshowheretoday.com to listen to the show, view images of the items we are talking about, and read the show notes. You can also continue the conversation on Facebook at Stamp Show Here Today and on Twitter at Stamp Show HT. If you have questions or comments about the show or have any topics you would like us to discuss, you can email us at stampshowheretoday at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and as always, keep collecting. Never before have so few done so little for no one in particular. Stamp show here today. Stamp show here today. Stamp collecting happens when we dream together.